This episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the instantly proven wrong trope. There's almost nothing more satisfying than watching somebody make an outrageous claim and then instantly being proven wrong. Like somehow claiming that a cat will always land on their feet and then immediately dying and plummeting to their death. Or saying that being shot out of a cannon is going to revolutionize travel before being blown to spicy little bits. There's nothing more satisfying than watching somebody claim a truth and then instantly being proven wrong, which occurs four times throughout this movie. The instantly proven wrong trope used at your own caution. Would you like to have an existential crisis covered within to have an hour and 40 minutes through the form of a, ch- a movie for children? <laughs> I would love to. Wonderful. I, I, that, that would actually be a nice release. Well, very good, because I'm, I'm ready to re- uh, gotta watch it. I'm ready to release upon you a gush that uh, absolutely came out of nowhere in my life, mm-hmm. um, but was a movie that I heard... So much about on TikTok, the uh, the clock app of all things, that I was like, "There's no way this could possibly be good." And so, what what am I what am I what are we talking about, folks? Well, I'll tell you what. This movie uh, came out last year in December. It did very well. Uh, you know, four times its budget, which is kind of nice to see. That's and, good. And uh, you know, the the actors in it were very Top Gun. It covered just about everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, it focused a lot on the Banshees of this year, and I'll just stop right there. This is Puss in Boots. I've decided two. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the Last Wish, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, a sequel that I don't think anybody asked for, nobody needed, but oh D- my goodness, probably the most philosophically intelligent kids movie. It's delightful. Since, yeah, like. This is what I used to love about Pixar, uh, and DreamWorks is like this yes. was peak. That's, That's so the I, thing. Yeah, I was trying to think like, um, what was a movie that I saw that gave me this much feels the last time I saw it? That was a kids movie. Now it's easy to say Into the Spider Verse. So let let me go back farther than that. Mm-hmm. I would say it was Inside. Yeah, I think so. That was the last kids I movie so. where I was like genuinely affected to my core, and this movie did that. <laughs> so I actually had this conversation yesterday. Where mm. Pixar movies don't give me the feels anymore. I feel like they're so focused on giving me the feels that they forget to earn them. Yeah, I think. Well, let's see, because we had uh, they started doing the sequel thing a while back, um, mm-hmm. and I, I I think I saw a part of the trailer for Elemental, and the complaint there is that it looks uh, too generic, which I don't know about that. My my thought is you've gone so high concept that I don't see how you could stick the landing. Yeah, which will be interesting. It's like, uh, yeah, stick the landing. That's a good way to put it. It's like trying to do the horse, and we'll just kind of see how they do. Um, but, I mean, when I look at Pixar's movies, I thought Soul was beautiful. I didn't see Lightyear. I didn't see Turning Red. I didn't see Luca. I didn't see Onward. I saw all of them. Uh, Toy Story 4 was fine. Um, Coco was was very good. Bill will gush about that someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finding Dory was fine. But Inside Out in 2015 was the last I, time I saw an animated movie that like, oh. So po- unpopular opinion. I think Please. Coco's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no. So the, here's the thing. Inside Out was the last one that really gave it to me the that that emotional release. Now, I all the movies you just said I've seen. The only Pixar movie I haven't seen is Cars Three. You saw Turning um, Red. I did see Turning Red. Oh, very good. Look, I didn't dislike any of them. Hmm. I just don't ever need to watch any of them again. 
And sure, and you, the, you know the the intentionality behind Puss in Boots: The Last Wish was they wanted to give the same kind of grown up humor that Shrek gave. Um, mm-hmm. What they didn't anticipate <laughs> was giving it the grown up um, existential crisis. I don't want to say cure, but I'll tell you what, it certainly hit me when I needed to hear what the message of the movie was. Yeah. Um, so I want to break this one wide open. Folks, we'll I be want spoiling the entire movie. And, and I will just say this. Should we just start right out of the gate? I, I would love to. And I just want to say, if you haven't seen the movie yet, please, you know, please be the person who just pauses this and, and comes back later. Cause I want to spoil everything. Cause this is too damn good. And I will state as well. I kept hearing amazing things about this movie and I kept thinking there's no way it's as good as everybody's yes. saying it is. Yeah. There's no way there's it's just, it's inconceivable that the sequel to a spinoff from Shrek two is as good as that you're saying. And I'm here to tell you it is. So go yeah. watch it. Some say, Come the back critics, in a bit. some say the critics rigged this. I didn't rig. Fucking shit. I didn't do any of <laughs> Oh, thank you. I was thinking about how to work that in there. but <laughs> Thank um, you, thank you. But I wanted to work that in there, not just because I have been enjoying that horribly cringy show lately, but also because I want to bring back the bleep for this episode, because Good. this movie was full of bleeps, full of the buster bleeps. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was delightful. So diving right in, Puss in Boots, uh, effectively, this, it takes off where the last Shrek movie end, Puss is on this adventure, um, and he's like saving this town of Del Mar uh, from this giant, and he's singing this very prideful song about how amazing he is, and who's the most humble guy? You are, which is like the mm-hmm. least humble thing you could ever say ever. Um, and through the course of this really excellently choreographed fight, Puss in Boots dies by having a giant bell fall on him, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which is a theme that you'll hear throughout the movie. Eight times in this movie, you will hear a bell booming in the background, and that's to signify the eight deaths that he had. Oh, man, I went down the trivia rabbit hole for this movie. Oh, good. Um, And we learned from the local – is he a dentist also? The local barber slash doctor. That sounds right. Yeah, that puss has used his last – that he's on his last life and he's used his last eight. I'm not really a math guy. And then he goes ahead and counts through the deaths, which the, the cards that they did counting each particular death were mm-hmm. awesome. Like, They're great. I mean, I could see a board game being made from this or a card game or something with those particular cards in place. Cause that was just so dang cool. Um, this was a movie where when you think about for, for people who are writers who listen to this, you want to exhaust your concept when you're dreaming of the coolest thing ever for every little beat of your movie. This movie thought of every cool thing ever and every cool thing ever said by anybody that would say things in the movie. For example, there's a moment where later on in the movie where Goldilocks is talking about like her life and her wish where she says, then everything will be just right. What Mm -hmm. she strives for in the fairy tale, everything will then be that way. Um, This movie does that in, in spades. And uh, so he leaves the doctor. He's like, screw off, man. Forget it. I'm going to go live my life however I want to. And then he goes to the bar and he's drinking uh, milk and he's on his ninth glass of milk. The other eight glasses are empty right next to him. (laughs) The empty eight lives that he had. And for me, it was very obvious that the dog was death. That's not, you know, if you're growing up, you're listening to this anyway, because I swear a lot. Uh, but the, it's very obvious who the dog is, I think, with the scythe and everything like that, what's going on with the red eyes. I and, didn't put it together. You didn't put it together? Okay, cool. Now, he no, says for- he's death. Do- doesn't he say it then, somewhere? But He says, he just kind of like, you've been, you know, I've been chasing you your whole life, and I've seen all these different things. I thought you said you'd laugh at me. And he says all those things, but it's not till the crystal cave where he figures out. Get- that he actually says, like, oh, you are death kind of a thing. Gotcha. Um, but that 
that f- okay real quick with the animation style this movie had an animation style similar to into the spider-verse the frame rate is messed with like crazy, i love that but i love it well, this is a great example of taking from other movies and and making it not only your own thing but kind of making it better in a way well, i really loved the animation style of this film that's what I mean. The, the, allow me to gush once more about Into the Spider Verse. Is I feel like as a movie, it gave all these animators permission to go buck wild. I mean, I, I thought the same thing watching the bad guys, um, the Mitchells versus the machines. It's like all these animators are realizing I can do crazy stuff. I you, yes. have you seen the trailer for the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I have not actually. Ooh, it's I'll put it on my list. Same thing. It's I I think. I think since Spider-Verse is, has been the first time in the CG era that I thought that the artistry is matching the hand-drawn era. Mm. And it's really exciting to me. And every time they reduced the frame rate for an action sequence, I got giddy. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, the last uh, true Disney hand-drawn animated movie, to my knowledge, I think I have this right, was The Princess and the Frog, a Disney film I absolutely love. A lot because of that reason, but yeah. growing up with it, there's that nostalgia factor too. Plus, there's the artisan style to it that you know um, that came out when we were about. in college, right? It did, didn't it? What 2006? Yeah. I saw it for the first time last year. Wow! Yeah, I really What'd enjoyed it. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I really enjoyed Darkwing Duck being the Firefly and his little Cajun accent and everything. Oh, another movie that hit me at a very good time in my life. Mm. Um, but so so Puss uh, fights this wolf. Uh, who is whistling a song throughout the movie, and and I hope no one takes offense to this. The song I believe he's whistling is the Ten Little Indians. It sounds like that anyway. That's what I hear when he does that, which to me represents you know more of the lives being passed and down to one, down to zero kind of a thing. It could also not be that song, but that's what the melody but reminded me interesting. of. Interesting. No, I wouldn't have put that together. Yeah. Um, so, For the record, I, yeah. I, I started playing the movie with the sound off, while, and I'm watching them fight. This animation is so effing gorgeous. Isn't it? Oh my goodness. It's so pretty. Yeah, I love the way that Death is like dragging his, I don't know what the weapon is. Not like a hand scythe or something. Whatever they are, yeah. Crescent blades or whatever. When he like gets the better of Puss and he's like slamming into the ground and dragging them and sparks are flying. That's happening right now on my screen. You're just like, oh shoot, he is going to die. And you can see that fear. And the way the wolf like licks his lips, he's like, mm, fear kind of a thing. Um, and Puss escapes. And now one thing that the doctor gave him was this card for a lady. You know, it's like a cat retirement place. And he eventually goes there. He buries all of his stuff. And the cat lady takes him in. And then arguably he's living a life that a regular cat would be like, this is amazing. I get fed every day, pet it every day. It's amazing. But because of his adventurous spirit, like he hates this. He grows this long, straggly beard. He's kind of like the burnout old we, codger. You can see a like, midlife crisis in our character like 10 minutes into the movie. Exactly, exactly. Um, and Mama Luna, that's her name. And while he's there, he meets this little chihuahua who is uh, disguised as a cat named Perito. And Perito, I have so much to say about Perito. But for the sake of things, what's also introduced is Goldilocks and the Three Bears crime family who arrive. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find Puss in Boots and hire him uh, to find this wishing star um, and get that location. And this is kind of the caveat where Puss in Boots finds out about this wish where he can get his lives back and then not be chased down by this bounty hunter who's coming to kill him. Um, and you have to get the wishing stars location from crime boss, big Jack Horner. 
who was expertly uh, voiced by John Mulaney. Spider-Ham. Yes, but <laughs> and doesn't he say at some point, like, I hate talking to cartoon or I hate talking to talking animals or something? I don't and, recall. And, like, that's who he's been in the past, something like that. Um, and so Puss goes to steal the map, and that's when he he runs into Kitty Softpaws, who was uh, Selma Hayek from the first movie. And so uh, Kitty Softpaws, uh, Perito, and Puss are on this adventure now. They have the map. They have to go to the Dark Forest. Um and when they actually get to the dark forest and they go in, that's when the whole world kind of turns upside down. The thing that I want to talk about is Perito, this dog character, who I can't think of an animated character who has a darker backstory. Can you? Off the top of my head, no. Right? Like, I, and then they put me in a sock and put a rock in it and threw me in the river, and you're just like, <laughs> and he's you know, just <laughs> delighted to tell the story. <laughs> and he's so happy about it, and then like. This is a guy who, what's the phrase? He clearly takes the the awful thing that's happened to him and he's turned into something wonderful. Like, joke's on them. I grew into the sock and now I have a comfortable sweater. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> dude. Even Kitty Softwaz at one point says, dude, if anyone deserves a wish, it's you. And he's like, oh, I got whatever I want. And uh, he serves as this, just this shining light in this film. Because once they get into that forest, you know, once they touch the map, it's effectively there's three big key locations which reflect their life. Like there, I think uh, when when Boots touches it, there's like a nostalgia place. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the empty souls, and then there's the star. And then Kitty Softpaws is like the despair place and the misery place, and then the star. And then you have Perito, whose places are like um, the posies and um, another fun place or the river of something. And then you get to the star. And so they're like, you can touch the map, and we'll just follow your your easy path, which of course doesn't turn out to be easy. But then meanwhile, on his back are the three bears and Goldilocks and Big Jack Horner. And so then you spend the bulk of the movie in this dark forest and you have this crazy, beautiful adventure with these. What a weird setting. I mean, it's right. It's almost the 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 dark forest basically has a video game motif going on. I mean, it's it's. It honestly reminded me a little bit of like Ready Player One, where it's just reflecting their characters. Yeah, the the dark forest is a really kind of neat location. Like you said, it's very video game esque with the leveling. Or yeah, well, no, it's just it's like, yeah, it seems like you have to do this, which will lead to this, which will lead to the the final boss kind of scenario. But the thing I was struck by, and and, and it finally clicked with me as they're going through each of their their challenges, and you see each mm-hmm. one in sequence. The design of this movie, and, and the only thing that I could describe it as is this movie is generic on fire it's like ah. they they took this generic fantasy fairy tale story and they're like what if we took it and we just leaned hard into the generic <laughs> so hard that it becomes original mm-hmm. and i love it it's like i mean do you know what i'm saying i don't know if i'm making this clear it this looks I think, like i think i'm getting what you're putting on this yeah. looks like you could pluck it off of those like golden spine fantasy or uh, fairy tale books you read when you're like six the art style just pops off of the pages of these generic fantasy fairy tale stories i mean i'm, I'm looking at shots here of the bears going towards the rainbows and the clouds and the trees <laughs> but they just crank the saturation up and they yes. they they crank up the creativity on every single detail so yeah it's it's generic, but in a way that is wildly original. And it's like yeah, seeing I, things through the eyes of a child. I felt like I was seeing a, 
fairy tale for a first the first time I, I by leaning into the tropes it allowed me as an adult to in my cynicalness to experience it <laughs> like a kid again and it was really delightful yeah i mean once perito touches the map and it just becomes this like vomit of color yeah and glitter and glow it's you you kind of can't help but make the cute face that puss and kitty do when you're just like oh because it's so it yeah it's turned yeah. up to 30 <laughs> and it works so well but you know i even feel the same way when when uh the other two touch the map like it's generic lava realm it's generic or swamp yeah yeah uh acid swamp but yeah but it looks gorgeous and, and the gorgeous part is huge because when I was in college, I used to just take screenshots of movies and shows and have it as a rotating background. Yeah. And I was thinking about that as I watched it again this afternoon. And I was just like, there are so many shots that I would make a wallpaper of that mm-hmm. I could frame that there's going to be some, at some point I'll go through the movie poster or subreddit and just, I'm sure I'll find some amazing Puss in Boots posters because they were just gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous. And then they did that. That thing I can't think of that True Detective did where it's like they have their head and then you see like the inside forest and stuff. And they did it when Puss was walking towards Mama Luna's house. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, where yeah, it's they, they almost use him as a mat and then desaturate him so you can yes. see through him. Exactly. And there was another moment when they were actually in the forest. And, like you see Jack Horner and he's like rotating as he's holding uh, the, the ball. Every time Jack Horner gives a like an epic look in the montages, I giggled. It it. Oh. It just works so well. Absolutely, man. And I got to say, probably my biggest laugh in this movie came from the ethical bug, who never mm-hmm. gets a name. That's just what he's credited as, ethical well, bug. It's Jiminy Cricket, right? Exactly. And that's and I'll go to that. I'll, so so sticky tack on Jiminy Cricket. Okay. My favorite line is when ethical bug realizes when he's just like, there's good in everybody, there's good in everybody. And Jack Horner like lets all of his men die. And ethical bug goes, that was horrible. Your wish is horrible. You're horrible. Which will be the, the screenshot that I post with this movie. Is good. Him doing that. Great. It's amazing. You're an irredeemable monster. Wow. Wow. What took you so long? Idiot. Like, oh, so good. Um, Okay, back to the Jimmy Cricket thing. Uh, this movie is wicked inspired by Pinocchio everywhere you look. Not only is it wishing upon a star, not only is uh, Jack Horner's like caveat for being angry the fact that like Pinocchio was like one upping him, um, but then you also have Jimmy Cricket in there or the ethical bug, as it were, because they mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, get copyright issues and all yeah. that crap. But um, when you go, you so they go on this adventure through effectively different versions of the dark forest, depending on who touches the map, like Goldilocks's. Um, cabin in the woods is like this beautiful location that uh, brings out this this nostalgia for her in general because her wish is to be uh, with a real family despite the fact that she can't see the real family that she has in front of her eyes and there's a super super cool Easter egg where when she's reading the fairy tale book um, mm-hmm. all of the letters the first letter on the right hand side of the column spell like it's right in front of you or something like that Interesting. Um, I, will, I will find that and put that in the trivia notes but that was a really, really cool piece. And then, of course, those fights are awesome. Um, man, there's just so much to say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I love the way that like Puss has to come to terms with a lot of his life choices based on things like Perito encourages him to do. Like when he, uh, you come to find out that he left Kitty at the altar. Mm-hmm. And so Perito tells him, like, he, know, and he knows that it's a big regret that he is. And Perito's like, maybe you should just tell her that's what happened. And then you'll feel better. And she'll feel better too. And then he does that. And you find out, like, she actually wasn't there either because she knew that his true love is himself, which goes back to that 
mm-hmm. first line in the song when he's just like, who's the most humble of them all? You know, I am kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and then you get to this really cool fight scene with, uh, the three bears and then he gets the map and he ends up in that, um, that empty soul room with those crystals and all of his sure. past lives in there. Uh, and then you get, then you really get the reveal that, you know, the, the wolf is death and he was mad as hell that, um, not only did puss not utilize any of the eight lives he already had, but he laughed in death's face and he's wasted his life and he's just going to waste another one. So he's just going to take him now. Like, that's just how this is going to go. Um, and I don't know, I guess it just makes you kind of stop and think when that's happening and you think, am yeah. I wasting my life? Am I making the right decisions? Am I, we only ever, we, I mean, that's the big thing of this is you only get one life, make it worthwhile and uh, be with people that you love and all those things that go with that. But I found myself really self-reflecting in that particular moment of the movie. <laughs> and I want to talk more as we get to the end, but my kids had some observations that my, we, we, it led to some great conversations. Cause my kids, death in, it was, as a child it was just a character to be scary to of I, For it's sure. a rich movie that I think will grow as you grow with it yes and this is definitely one to buy a physical copy of I will be going to my local store later to get the blu-ray dvd you know digital copy because this mm-hmm. was just I picked this up on Redbox for like a buck just not thinking anything of it yeah and then I was completely blown away um, how did now did you see it because I said to say something or was it already on your list or so I had seen this recommended over and over of people talking about how incredible it was. You mean the movie in general? Yeah. 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 Just multiple people talked about how great it was. And you know what? I enjoyed Shrek one and two and I never saw three. I mean, I probably saw in the background. It's then never saw the original posted boots, which correct me if I'm wrong, came out 12 years ago. Gosh, I think so. Yeah. 2011. One of the longest like sequels in place kind of a thing. I think. I, and I, you said this is a movie nobody asked for. In fact, so it, it is a movie that so few people asked for that I'm still flabbergasted that not only <laughs> did it get made, but it got made this good. Yeah. And I think of all the DreamWorks animated movies, this is like, I think this is the top three as far as critic score, audience score, all those things. It's only beaten by How to Train Your Dragon and I believe Chicken Run. I... Um, I don't think those hold a candle to this, frankly. This is by <laughs> far the best in the Shrek universe. Yeah. I w- well, would you say it's the best in the DreamWorks animation universe? Do you think it's better than Hatch? Okay. Well, so no, no. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. No, there's one, there's one better than this. And it's actually a movie that my family is watching right now. And it was tough to drag myself away to come do this podcast. Uh, we are recording this on Passover. Uh, yes. And my family is watching Prince of oh, Egypt downstairs. Of Egypt. Yeah. So that's the only oh. thing I would say from DreamWorks is better than this movie. I hearken to agree. I think how to train your dragon might, depending on the day might be a little, little bit level, level higher, but yeah, no Prince of Egypt is definitely wicked high up there, especially I mean, because every Christmas we listen to, um, Oh, what is that? All oh, acapella group from Texas called. I don't know. Uh, they do a version of, uh, when you believe <sighs> that's on their Christmas record. I, I can't, I can't watch that scene without crying. Oh, dude, of course not. I can't sing that song without crying. I know. Um, I can't. I, yeah. I cried uh, three times before I got up here and I just watched the first hour of the movie. Pentatonics. That's it. Mm. So in, in my Christmas playlist music, I always play that song from them because um, it's so bloody good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're but horrible. I think after Prince of Egypt, I, you know, yeah. How to Train Your Dragon is a good movie, but I enjoyed this one way more. And here's the thing. This movie 
as you said, has all that heart and has all of those existential questions and is also gorgeous and absolutely hysterical. Yes, yes. There are many good laughs in this movie. I loved his beard. Yeah. I love the, the cute off that those two have together where Perito just keeps going, oh, 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 like as they keep getting cuter and cuter. Cuteness overload. Team friendship. Um, a lot of the things that Jack Horner says are so bloody horrible. I know. That you can't help but And laugh. you just laugh. Yeah. It's- and, it, and, you, and his motivation, too, as a villain is wicked powerful because you're just like, okay, Jack Horner, did they just like – roll the dice, the D20, and try to, you know, attach to whatever. Maybe character. Right. But then it's like, oh, he's the only one who has absolutely no attachment to magic whatsoever. And so he has to rely on objects, Um, you know, stolen goods, Mm -hmm. um, a.k.a. Warehouse 13 kind of fun stuff, like even having Mary Poppins bag and uh, the fairy godmother's wand to turn the pumpkin into a cart and all the different, you know, we should bury the hatchet. And then there's the hatchet scene and uh, the eat me thing. I love that promise where he's like, he says the eat me to get bigger thing to Alice in Wonderland. Every time he sees it, he's just like, we'll save you for later. We'll save you for later. So it's like, you know, at some point. The Chekhov's cookie. Chekhov's cookie. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think, so after that that scene where he's, you know, back to running for his life and he's kind of left his friends in the dust and then he finally gets to that crater where the wish is, you have this big showdown a la um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which was a humongous influence on this film, mm-hmm. you even get that spaghetti western standoff sequence where it's a nice, beautiful, extreme close-up to close-up shot of everybody as they're, you know, everyone's got their stakes and some are much bigger than others. And then they face off in this really, like you said, glorious fight scene where the frame rate is slowed down so you can really capture everything, um, which is something, quick aside on that, that you triggered when you mentioned that that's one thing I haven't been able to get in why I haven't been able to get into a lot of action movies. It's why the transformers movies do absolutely nothing for me. They're why mud. Pacific Rim uh, did nothing yeah, for me. I can't track oh, you like anything. the original Pacific Rim. It's, it's okay. But the fight scenes, I can't track anything because it's so fast and so oh, see, and so cutty. That's funny. Mm. Cause I th- agree on transformers, but I cite Pacific Rim is how you do transformers. Right. I find it really? so easy to follow. Okay, I think some of the try, next time you watch it, you'll when they have like the scene in the water when they're fighting, like the the two robots. I like, get that the the water just scene seems like too much. Yeah. yeah, but to me, the Hong Kong fight to me is one of the the best CGI fest fights ever. It, I think I it, need to give it another go. Then I I think the Hong Kong sequence is extremely well done. Okay, I'll give it another go. I mean, I it, it's it. fine, but don't don't worry <laughs> about it. But but I completely agree with Transformers. I I think. So often with fight scenes, you're focused on the actions that you forget the filmmaking mm-hmm. and you just end up using generic action reaction shots. I mean, a lot of a lot of people took the wrong lessons from the Bourne movies, thinking that you do fast editing. You can hide the fact that not good action is happening. Yes, <laughs> I, pretty Does, much ultimatum, in, in my opinion, for that. I can't stand that movie. See, I, I like those movies, too, but I think that's a better director working on those movies. To, I, I give what it, it to me, it works in Supremacy and Ultimatum and people used it as a crutch. Mm. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I, 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 I am happy that and I think this is a result of mostly two movies that the action sequences are more legible now. I think it's from uh, Mad Max Fury Road. 
and John Wick, where this notion is if you're mm. smart about your filmmaking, you should be able to follow the action. The shots should complement each other. They should lead from one moment to the next. There should be a language that is used. The same way in conversations have a language. You got to keep track of your line, your eyesights in these things. Action has a language that I feel like is being perfected in the last ten years. Gotcha. Does yeah, that make I, sense? I, what I'm saying? It does, and and I would agree too. I think. I, I guess I was just stuck on how, how much the shaky cam ultimatum pissed me off when I saw it. Oh, you know, um, it's too much. It's too much. I it's it is too much, as Bill would say. But I think at least an ultimatum, they knew what the actions were. I I I've never made it all the way through. Um, Liam Neeson's daughter is taken kidnapped. taken because oh. I'm not convinced they actually choreographed the fight scenes. I think they just did a bunch of cool action moves and then taped them all together. Is it taken three? Well, you might know this just because of the meme. Is it taken three where they do nine insane cuts just to have him go over a fence? I have no idea. Oh, okay. I have I seen that shot. Pu- yeah. This is going in the show notes for sure. People watch that. Where it's, um, it's, it's, they didn't take the time to figure out what they were doing. And I think it's so yeah. clear when you look at those shots. Well, I think too, oh man, we are really detracting, but I love it. The, well, I guess we're not really, because for me, Around high school, I really got into Jackie Chan, Jet Li movies, like their older ones, um, mm-hmm. where it was long shots. Like Jackie Chan shots, uh, fight scenes were not cut like crazy. Uh, right. A good example would be the old boy fight with the hammer in the hallway. Um, but the Jackie Chan movies, like I think of like, um, like the Super Cop movies, Operation Condor kind of a thing. Um, I think about, um, gosh, the Mistake Identity one with the chefs. Jet Li, I think about uh, Fist of Fury. Is but what, what you're describing yeah. here to me is, is the same thing that that I think John Wick popularized almost to the to a fault. I, I'm actually getting mm. tired of the John Wick clones. We'll talk more about John Wick later. Cause yeah, I yeah. But but the idea of doing the work to make sure you know you're you're as the actor are acting when you are fighting. It is not just time to turn your brain off and wait for the next drama scene but you have to act as the fighting you have to know what your body's doing and it's highly choreographed so that you can have these long shots that are visible and and mm-hmm. i'm so okay as we're i i've never done this i've never actually had the movie playing as we've talked it's been a delight because i'm getting new observations as you've been going through it but i'm watching this fight scene between puss and death at the end of the movie and there are a lot of long shots where they are letting the camera linger on the characters as they're moving very quickly. I mm-hmm. love the the anime speed lines. There's a couple of shots of that the look exactly out of into the Spider Verse where Miles is running at at uh, Kingpin. Yeah, King. yeah. But at the same time, did you ever see that analysis of the the sequence in Fury Road where uh, uh, the the first fight between or the only real fight between Max and Furiosa where they're fighting for that gun? Is it a YouTube video? I think so. It, it might be Let's on the special the features. Yeah. I'll try to find it. But okay. It, so, I think it's I think it's the director, uh, whom I'm blanking on. He's good. I love him. George Miller. Miller. Yeah, Miller. Thank you. Hired his wife, who had never directed an action movie, to to or never edited an action movie to edit this because he wanted to, to somebody without action sensibilities to edit the action. Whoa, <laughs> that's really cool. And one of the things they did is there. Every time an action occurs, they figured out where the key place that your eyes are going to be looking at. And the next mm. shot, 
where they want your eyes looking is is layered on top of where you were looking in the previous shot. So if they want you looking on the left end of the screen, oh. they're going to move the action from the right to the left. And then the next shot, if they want you looking somewhere else, they're going to move the action from the left to the wherever they want. So there's this it's it's truly this just like uh, lines of sight and conversations where you got to think about where people are looking so that you have that language in your brain of, of conversations occurring correctly. The action is drawing you from one spot of the screen to the next spot of the screen to the next spot of the screen in this fluid dance with your eyes. And I'm okay, watching this fight in yeah. Puss in Boots, and they're doing that exact thing. The wolf death swings his sickle, and it comes down, and they cut to the shot, and the sickle may be coming down on the right side of the screen, but Puss's eyes are on the right side of the screen, and they cut away. And then Puss slides to the left, and they do the same thing in the next shot. Whatever they want you to look at is on the left. That's and it's like right. you're, you're dancing across the screen, and it's gorgeous in this silly kids movie about a, a cat in boots. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And that's I don't know if that's what makes it even more sweeter is that nobody was expecting this. But man, um, there's an anime that I really, really love. Like it's a top 20 for me called Shirabako. And it's all it is is about four girls who graduate uh, high school and they all agree that they want to get into the anime industry. And it's just about their journey on how to get into the anime industry. It's a slice slice of life life thing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very easy slice of life. Um, One of the more beautiful endings I've ever seen in a show ever. Um, that tied it up so incredibly nicely, but it was that same idea where they were given a property that nobody really gave a crap about, but because they cared so much, it became this really great thing. Sure. Um, I think it's that thing where I didn't know the writers or directors too terribly well looking at their credits. I mean, they did stuff, mm-hmm. you know, they have done things in the past, but man, just, Oh, the, the care and the work in this. And you know, you mentioned the thing about the fights. Edward Wright does that super well. When yes, he does, he does. His fight scenes is the way he tracks things. Yes, he um, does. So they're very, it's, a, it's very legible. <laughs> and the thing is, is when a fight is legible mm-hmm. and I think the other thing that a lot of fights need in worse movies don't get the fight should be telling a story. If the fight is not telling a story, why am I watching the fight? Otherwise, if you just want an obstacle between a character and the next scene, it should be a blip of a moment. But um, like this fight between death this every action is teaching you about the characters and the way they're viewing things. And you're literally watching puss want to live life, learning how to want to live life. And it's great. Yeah. And um, well, so that just triggered something else. What you mentioned there was um, there's kind of this idea that when you're, when you're working on a story, you kind of tease the worst thing that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. And then in a really, really good movie, the worst thing that can ever happen does happen but the characters find a way to overcome that this movie does that in little itty bitty chunks where you actually become so invested in the minor characters that you want to see them succeed as well so like when they lose the map to goldie and the 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 three bear crime family lovely uh you're just like well crap now they have this other obstacle they have to get to but because we cut to the three bears and we kind of see what that wish does for them you're like oh man they're not so bad after all Mm -hmm. although Ethical bug does point out later. They talk about good business, good moral business practices. (laughs) Um, But I love that cottage moment. Not just because when Papa bear uh, goes to his recliner, he goes, hello, old friend and immediately snores. And that was, you know, that's my life right now. Um, But just that scene of now you're investing in this person who you think is a bad guy. Cause they're also after the sending the hero once and taking it away would make, you know, the hero's journey upset. 
you're now investing into your minor character more because you actually care if something good happens to them too because right. what they desire is also important. So the movie gives you great investments in everybody except for Jack Horner, who is horrible. But he um, doesn't need one. And I... Right. And that, that works just fine. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, we get to this big final showdown moment where, uh, well, first off, Goldilocks chooses to give up the wish to go save her younger brother because she's the because uh, mm-hmm. he's the snatch and she's the grab right um and somebody wrote in the trivia that you actually see her dress change colors throughout the movie so by the time that is brown that? by the end she's also like a brown bear within the family thing um i'll see if i can find uh the link to that particular comment but the real gold of this film is that moment when puss has the chance to make his wish and uh perito who again is just this golden character. There's like nothing like the only thing wrong with him is the horrible, st- the horrible way he's been treated through life. Mm-hmm. But he gets the wish to push. And he says, you know, I've only ever had one life, but sharing it with you and Kitty has made it pretty special. Maybe one life is enough. <sighs> yeah. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. It just gets you, man. Like, God, I'm drinking whiskey real quick. Um, but that was that was such a good golden moment because you have mm-hmm. this guy who his whole life, like his whole drive in the movie is to restore these lives. And boom, you get this realization like one is enough depending on what you choose to do with it because he did waste his eight arguably with the the dogs playing poker and the bell smashing him and having the barbell drop on his chest and the whole like cats always on their feet and he falls from 10,000 feet up in the air kind of a thing. But then it's like, yeah, one life is enough. Boom. Literally you could drop the mic and end the movie right there, well, but you have to take it. Yeah, go ahead. But, but, but I think it's important to tie that to death, right? It's, it's not right. just that life is enough. It's that we know it is going to end in death and puss accepts that. And stops being afraid of that. And so this is the point where my kids go, what? So he's not afraid of death? So death just leaves? And I'm like, I know you don't get it, but what you just said is very poignant. <laughs> <laughs> the fear oh, of death good. is what makes... Is what spoils the life. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And aside from the fact that that was probably my favorite fight scene in the whole freaking movie was the one that he has with death. Mm-hmm. Um, you have that moment where... Um, a beautiful setup and payoff, which if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, my setups and payoffs goes into the back to the future episode. I talk about it like crazy where he sets in the very beginning where he disarms puss. He kicks the sermon. He goes, pick it up, pick it up. And he won't do it. And puss runs away. You have this moment where he kicks the scythe back at death. And he says, pick yeah. it up. And when he can, he realizes they can't scare puss anymore. And he swears to himself. Why the hell did I play with my food? And he turns to puss. He's like, You're is that what he says in me. Spanish? Yes. Why the hell did I play with my food? Because I think they say hell and damn like twice in this movie. But he's like, I came for an arrogant little legend who thought he was immortal, but I don't see him anymore. And so he puts the sickles away and says, live your life, puss in boots. Live it well. And that's what makes death not scary. Exactly. I haven't seen death portrayed this well since Anton Chigger and No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just this, this force, this, this thing that is feared the whole time. The only difference is that it's kind of overcome in the end. Right. Not overcome in a way that where he's, he's like, I'll see you later kind of a thing. Although you know that he will because nobody can get out of this world alive. But man. Well, you uh, mentioned, uh, it's funny you mentioned No Country for Old Men. Do you ever hear that quote from uh, Cormac McCarthy? Which one? About, he basically once said, 
if you're not if your story isn't about death i don't know why you bothered to tell it (laughs) (laughs) that's good yeah man he's a smart old man he's also he's an arrogant bastard too but man the guy can write yeah, I read the first 40 pages of The Passenger, and I didn't know what the hell was going on, so I put it down. So I don't know if I'll come back to it. But I might. I haven't started it yet, but I'm intrigued. It feels like homework at the moment. I know. But, and, uh, and, yeah. Beautiful homework, though. Yeah. I still need to read all the pretty horses. But anyway, you got that fight with death, and I love that moment where uh, Kitty Softball's like, whoa, okay, when you said death was chasing you, I thought <laughs> you were being metaphorical. <laughs> you were being dramatic or something, yeah. Yeah, which to me was a callback to when in the, the first Shrek movie where Shrek sees Fiona turn into an ogre, Shrek goes, well, that explains a lot. Like it was a callback to that moment. Oh, yeah. Just, I found that tie like right away. Um, but then we're still not really done with the big bad of the movie because Jack Horner eats the eats the cookie, the Chekhov's cookie, and becomes this giant thing. And um, Perito distracts him with the cuteness, and then he's like, you know, he doesn't get his wish because the the what is it? The team friendship get, comes in, uh, which was oh my gosh, man! When she I don't know why, but like when she uh, when Goldilocks has um, Kitty Softpaws and Puss in Boots, and she throws them with the hook. Mm-hmm. And they go through his fingers. I'm just like, they thought of everything. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> it's great. Like, I think I was slapping my leg at that point because I'm just like, they thought of everything. <laughs> oh, my god! I think what we're seeing in these movies is creative freedom allowed to really just juice it out on the page. And mm-hmm. I... I Look, not every time you let creators make what they want, the studio stays out of the way. Are you going to get gold? But you'll right. have a lot higher hit rate if you let people just love what they're doing. Yeah, if you just let them be excellent without, I, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know what this movie was like because Guillermo del Toro did drafts on it for a long time. I didn't know he that got off the project. And yeah, back in twenty twelve, I think he was on it for two years. Wow. And then it was like Puss in Boots. Uh, Puss in Boots and the Nine Lives and the Forty Thieves and then the Forty Thieves part got dropped. So it's like I don't know what they cut to get to what they got, but damn, damn! <laughs> like I, there's no wasted space in this film. At None the very end, they sail off to far, far away. I'm like, yeah, okay, I could use more Shrek. Let's do this. I thought about that too. I was like, yep, I could use more Shrek. Oh, and they play. They even play that little do 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 right like from Shrek the, the Symphony. It's just like, oh, amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, fucking, sorry. So, just 10 out of 10. God dang, this movie was amazing. And it came out of nowhere. It would have for sure, but, like, it probably would have edged out the Batman, I think. Oh, you think this I would think? be your number one? I don't know. It would have, it was for sure, like, it would have been in the top five. I love Banshees for what it was. I love, I, I've seen Top Gun now three times, and it gets better every time I watch it. It's Everything great. Everywhere All at Once gets better every time I mm-hmm. watch it. I agree. Um for those who didn't hear our Oscar gush, like my goodness, what a great Academy Awards we had. Um, great year, really, yeah. Just a great year in film. Um, quick aside, because I know he doesn't listen to this, but my dad and I went for a walk recently, and uh, as all old men do, he was lamenting that there just aren't any good movies anymore. And I was like, Dad, I will give you 20 amazing films in the last five years. I will give you 50 great films in the last 10 years, and I will give you 100 films in the last 23 years. That are all amazing. But People, you, you stop have to find that them. Lie. You have, you to, do find have to find them. them. Yep. The thing is, is they're they're bad movies have always been made. Oh my gosh, yes. You, if you go to any director, like 
here's an example. Ron Howard. Go to Ron Howard's like early stuff. Crap. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> Go to like any director though, and look at that early part of their career where they're just like trying to make enough money to keep being in the industry. Like mm-hmm. garbage. You will find I mean, it. James Cameron started with Piranhas Two. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, which, which did you know that when Jack Horner dies, it is an homage to Terminator Two, but he puts his thumb oh, down you're instead right. of the thumbs up. Yeah, I knew that something was happening there. That's mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely have to look for the good movies. And maybe I'll do that one of the days on the show. I'll just give you like a hundred amazing movies. And here's the thing. Not only do you have to look for the good movies, you have to be willing to be surprised. And that's what I got with this movie. It was a total surprise and a delight. Yes, sir. Uh, Philosophically delightful, theologically delightful. Um, This movie will, I don't know. Like I just, I felt a little lighter when I walked my dog after this movie. I just okay. I'm sorry. The credits yeah. are rolling on my end. That shot, okay. the John Mulaney shot of him holding the orb and looking <laughs> profound, is one of the funniest stills in a movie yes. in a long time. Oh my gosh! I actually have the uh, so I have two things pulled up. I have the "You're Horrible" pulled up, and I have the uh, the detail where when uh, Goldilocks or when Goldie opens the the book, every first letter says "You already have it" on the left hand side. If you just read the first letter of every sentence, that's great. Um, that's, yeah, so I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, look but. at that. So the credit for uh, the editor is when they have that that cool True Detectives fade-through thing. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. Let's see. Google, what is that effect called they used in the True Detective uh, opening? I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> no, don't cut it out. I love that. Okay, I won't. Uh it is not called Met Plugs In. Plugs In? Plug-ins? What? I I, I don't uh, know how you're going to find it. That's very specific. Matte paintings? No, it's something like that. It's You're using it as a mat to cut through the other image. Double exposure effect. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Nadia Orenes.es, for answering that bloody question. My goodness. Um, so... You all know how I feel about the movie. What's two in questions for you, good sir? The first okay. is, what did your kids think? Because I, I want to know, like, I have been recommending this to a lot of parents. And they're like, well, chances are your daughter hasn't seen it yet. So mm-hmm. is this safe for my children? So what did your kids think of the movie? Well, safe for my children is I'm not the one to ask. We watch, uh, My kids I, have seen Dune twice. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I I just I think it speaks for itself the fact that we watched this a couple days ago and they immediately went and turned it on again. I didn't even think they knew how to access the Peacock app, but they had it on <laughs> and we're watching it. Uh, no um, one knows how to access the Peacock. app. <laughs> well, I just downloaded it to watch this like on Saturday, so very good, very good. So they loved it. Now, yeah. would you say that it is safe? I I think ten and up is fair. What do you think? If you were recommending it to I a think, Rando family. Uh, <laughs> I have strong opinions. I think kids should be allowed to. Is we this, ever talk about it? that uh, that Tolkien essay he had on his in his book of essays on, fairy, on fairies. Where, on uh, fairy stories, we've touched yeah. on it. 
But it, oh, but oh yes, yes we have because it was it, that line. Maybe of, it wasn't. Kids should Tolkien. know that dragons are real, but that they can all. G.K. Chesterton the, says that was Chesterton. Kids know, yeah, kids yeah. Know dragons are real and that they can be beaten. That thing. Yeah, there's something in the Tolkien one. I can't remember too, but it's the same principle. It's this notion that that kids are scared because you be baby them, and and you know what? <laughs> like they don't need essential excessive gore, but. I got again. My kids have seen Dune, censored, but I had no qualms showing this to my three-year-old, and he enjoyed every minute. And if your kid gets scared, watch it with him and hug him, because this is a good kind of scared. It's worth getting over. I love that. There is nothing well, objectionable in this movie. I would agree. I think that um, I think the wolf, the red eyes of the wolf, can be a little scary, but also it's a really good conversation. But you know what? <laughs> Mm. I, if there's nothing objectionable in the movie and the only thing that's there is it can be a little scary and not excessively scary, but it can be a little scary. Then don't you want to do that with your kids and help them work through fear? The whole movie is about getting over a fear of death. Help your kids get through the scary. Yeah, I love that. Don't just abandon them to the scary. Don't also protect them from all the scary this is a great way to do that. And it's not that scary. It's really not that scary. (laughs) It's really just that cool. We'll put it that way. Uh, All right. There are many more scary kids movies than this one. Yes, there are. I need uh, a number from one to 423 from you. 376. 376 is a digital resources manager named Carrie La Reese Hughes. Let's see. Carrie. Carrie Laurice Hughes, you have been with DreamWorks for a minute. You have 16 credits, and they all appear to be DreamWorks movie, uh, DreamWorks movies. Let's see. Yeah, every you pretty much every DreamWorks movie from Mr. Peabody and Sherman all the way to Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, Bad Guys, Spirit Untamed, The Croods, Trolls, Abominable. All the How to Train Your Dragons, uh, Kung Fu Panda 3, Penguins of Madagascar. So I don't know what a digital resources manager does, but you're bloody good at it, Carrie. Yeah. And we're so glad that you were in this. That we like You needed to be in the the process of this film in order for everybody to kind of succeed in the, on you know the terms that would make this movie fantastic. So, Carrie, thank you so much for working on Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. An amazingly damn good film. Well, I searched uh. digital resource managers, and I've got top eight inspiring movies that every hr should watch seven movies every hr professional must watch uh, i don't know yeah no <laughs> so here's the thing i didn't get three movies that you dislike have we burned through all of our movies that we greatly dislike yet was there any i said this podcast that i need to say something nice about now that i ripped on i don't know are there any animated movies you hate um Only the ones I haven't seen that everyone says not to. Um, this is easier with guests, but we do this regularly enough. Yeah, and I feel like I can find the good. Like, Perito, I want to find the good in anything and everything. Um, the last animated movie I really didn't care for was... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, Say something nice about... Ugh. Man, I, I was going to come up with something by the end of that sentence, and it never came. Hmm. Uh, so that's the problem, is they just don't make good movies anymore. 
<laughs> Dad? <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. We can leave it at that. Um, yeah, we like movies. Yes, indeed. Um, well, shoot, man. Uh, are you enjoying anything recently? Any books, movies, or shows? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, we got Peacock, so I started Poker Face. I'm really enjoying that. But, you know, I'll follow Ryan Johnson to hell and back, I will. Yes, um, will. Let's see. I saw John Wick 4. And it might be the best one. Ooh, it's, I might have to watch two and three to see four then. It's did you what do you think of one? I really like one. Okay, it's really good. I don't see how you wouldn't like two and three. They're okay, different, but they're the same. I mean, it, 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 the only thing that you could be accused of, I suppose, if you watch them back to back, they may seem a little repetitive. But getting one every two years has been just a damn delight. Um, nice. And I, I think th- this one has a moment towards the end that is just spectacular. And it's yeah. Um, and then I saw Dungeons and Dragons last night. Oh, cool. How was it? Excellent. It's sweet. It's good. Like another example, if they don't make good movies anymore, Dungeons and Dragons feels it. It made me feel the way. Look, <coughs> it is not a serious movie. It is. It <laughs> it's is a movie about dragons. Well, but but it's just, it is a feel good movie at its core. It I feel this felt the same way at walking out of it as I did when I first saw the Princess Bride. I was just happy, and there was nothing life changing about it. But I was happy from beginning to the end, and it was a damn delight. And I strongly recommend it. It is so. This is so. Actually, this is funny. You bring up. I, I it, there's scary moments in that movie and I was trying to figure out are they too scary for my kids and I think for some of them for sure there's some scary stuff there's nothing okay. inappropriate in the movie it is a great family film if your kids can take some scary imagery okay very fair yeah and and very, lastly very I'm reading fair. Hyperion which is a sci-fi book and it's by Dan I can't remember the oh my gosh I, okay Yes, I've been that has been on my to-do list for a very long time. How is it so far? I'm about 120 pages in and I'm madly in love. Oh, good. That's that's one of those sci-fi books that everyone doesn't shut up about and I haven't been able to find it in the wild yet, but I'm going to. Yep. I'm about I'm 120 going. pages in. I I finished The Priest's Story, which is not a spoiler, but clear the, every it, it's broken up into these stories and it's it, it's I'm just over the moon with it. Very good. Yeah. How about you? What are you consuming? Oh my goodness. Uh, we have three shows going right now. 1883 is certainly the best of them so far. Uh, my goodness. I posted about this on my Facebook page that I had back in the day, I was trying to find the studio that had the rights to the Oregon trail. Cause I had a pitch for I it. I read that you on know, Facebook. They, yeah. Yeah. And they already had writers for it, but man, this is like that R rated version. I freaking love it. Taylor Sheridan can't be stopped. Amazing. Uh, we're about halfway through and, uh, episode four. Oh my gosh. Mm hmm. It's it's so crazy to think at some point in our like very recent history that a river was like the thing that would kill everybody. It's sure. Just, oh my goodness. Sure. Um, I read a book called Dead Man's Hand. Okay. Which is Jim Butcher who does the Dresden File Files. It's his son James. It's his first book about witches, which was uh pretty darn good. Pretty darn good, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, like a three point nine kind of a thing out of five. Um, and uh, I'm reading. A couple other books. There's a series called Red Do- uh, Red Rising, which is about like uh, a guy on Mars who becomes this like I don't know genetically modified human being. Jamie Stegmaier uh, made the board game of it. 
Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. So that first book was really, really good. And I'm reading the second one now called Golden Sun. And um, yeah, we're also watching a Western called Godless on Netflix when we can. And uh, nice. that's written by Scott Frank, who's one of the best living screenwriters alive. So and it's his passion project he did right before uh, the chess mo- the chess series with our girl from the menu. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Queen's Gambit. Uh, Queen's Gambit, yep. So uh, enjoying all of that. And that's it for me right about now, good sir. That's that, that's that's good. Thank you for making me watch this movie. Yes, indeed. And uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye.